0: This is episode number 313, How to Manifest Happiness with Rebecca Hayes. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming event in Austin, Texas on September 23rd, called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. What this is, is a three-day experience where you'll get a chance to hear stories from speakers from all over the world, as well as be a part of breakout sessions that are intended to help you identify the origins of your fears, as well as ways that you can turn them into strengths. If you'd like to know more details regarding this upcoming experience, please visit our website at OvercomingOdds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding this upcoming event. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Rebecca, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to be on.
0: Thank you. Thanks for being a part of it. And I'm sorry that you're going through everything that you're going through right now. And you know, if you want to disclose anything to the audience, you know, I've dark- got
1: COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Thank you for that. But uh, I'm lucky. I'm I'm doing all right. Just on that that road of recovery.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I've had uh, quite a few friends that actually have had it, and you know, it's been interesting to travel and experience covid and all these other topics across the world right now i'm in peru and i think it's about 70 to 80 percent of people are vaccinated yeah people wear mask double mask outside yeah. so it's like it's all these <laughs> new things to adjust to but you know it's just uh it's part of living life part of finding your own happiness and joy to the everyday moments which is something that you and i wanted to talk about and I'm curious and maybe this is the best way that we can even start this off. When did when were you, when did you first realize you were not happy? <laughs> and what did you want to change about it?
1: Um you know I think it that's an interesting question because becoming self-aware enough to recognize you're not happy. I think many of us recognize it and we we stuff it down. Right. So I think I knew that from a really early age. I think, you know, I was 11 years old and I put myself in the hospital with an eating disorder. I'm obviously not happy. I'm chasing the wrong ideals there. Um, But I don't think I really realized it until I was in my late 20s. So um, I'll give you the short version of of a longer story here. But essentially, I had been sold on the idea that I think a lot of us get get sold on, which is that when you achieve this, when you accomplish X and you do Y and you, and you get married and you have kids and you have the job and then you have earned happiness. Right. And so I did, I ticked all those boxes, you know, I got my PhD and I was on track for that really highly esteemed academic position. And I looked around like society should value me now. Right. Like (laughs) I'm married, I've got the house, I've got the 2.2, all the things. Right. And I was like, wait a second, where's my happiness, right, I did all the things, I, I, I navigated that maze and I'm miserable, um, and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, and, and actually, it coincided with, um, unfortunately, my, my sister-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she, she was like a sister to me, so when she got that diagnosis, I kind of took a closer look at, at myself and my own life, and was like, man, if that had been my diagnosis, I'd be so disappointed, with a life that I've lived up to this point, because every decision that I've made, I've made out of fear, not out of attainment of happiness or what I thought I was striving for, but I made out of, I'm going to let people down. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. So I have to do X, Y, and Z. I think that was the, that was the big turning point in my life.
0: Mm. Uh, is your stepsister, stepsister, she's still alive?
1: Uh, my, my sister-in-law, my, my sister's wife. Yeah. Unfortunately she, she passed about five years ago.
0: Oh wow. <clears throat> yeah. How how did that impact your own definition from there?
1: Well, I'll tell you I uh <laughs> I quit my job, sold my house and divorced my husband in about a month. Um and I'm I'm not going to recommend that that's what everybody run out and do, but it was it was such a an impactful moment for me that it really allowed me to to look at my life more objectively and to sit back and say, now if I didn't believe that all of these things were going to lead me to happiness. Um, if I, if I actually looked at what, what I really want, what, what it is that I need to be happy, what would that look like? And it was the first time that I think I ever looked internally to, to achieve that. Even using the word achieve makes me like a little nervous, but, um, to, to find that happiness that I think all exists within, within ourselves. Um, but we're so conditioned to chase, to achieve, to do the things so I uh, I started writing. Um, I was jobless, homeless. You know, I was living out of a hotel for a bit, and then my car, and then a little Airbnb, and it was it was an absolute comedy of errors. But it allowed me to really dig deep and realize that all the things that I thought I needed, all the things that I believed would lead to happiness, were really a bias. Uh, it was a societal bias. It was an achievement bias. It was these stories that I'd had in my head that say, this is what you need. And um and I started actually figuring out what it was that I needed. And it was very little, right? It was, it was a free freedom, an ability to, to do what I wanted when I wanted to do it. And the reality is we all get to do that. You know, that's that's the big secret. The the question that I ask people the most right now is like, when will you be happy? And the answer that, that I think I've found is it's when we decide, when we decide that we're happy. And, and I think that's a dangerous answer to give because it's like, well, you can just decide, you can just choose to be happy. And no, it takes, it takes a little more work than that, right? Um, but, but in reality, we do create so often these, these adventures or ordeals in our own heads, Right You can have a a stress response to something you can be really anxious and, and nervous and scared and then fear and biologically that's the same as being really excited. so when we recognize that our response to the situation really creates adventure, excitement or ordeals, real stress anxiety, and fear um we actually become you know take ownership of our own experiences, and I think that's really powerful
0: What do you fear right now?
1: living a life full of fear. (laughs) Mm. I mean, I, I fear slipping back into patterns, right? So every day it's, it's a, it's a check-in with myself, you know, I, I fear, um, not going all in. I think so often we, we fall into this, um, fear of not being enough, not showing up as enough. And so we hold back our true selves. We hold back that authentic piece of ourselves that would, you know, jump on the dance floor and do that really weird move or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, or, or like sing or, or travel the world because there's this opportunity that we might fail or we might look bad, and unfortunately, those things don't really matter, right? In the long term, um, what what we neglect to measure is what happens if we don't go all in, right? What are those regrets? What are those those costs? financially, mentally, emotionally, six years from now, 10 years from now, on our deathbeds. So I think what I fear right now is not staying in that moment, staying in the in the authentic space of this is truly who I am and how I want to show up in the world.
0: Interesting that you mentioned that because I, I've been thinking about this concept of fear for actually a number of years by now. And one thing that I realized is the importance of the narrative that I chose to write for myself around those fears before i started this journey seven months ago i mean there were fears of not enough time too many responsibilities not enough capital x y and z and what was fascinating is as you described like once i started to assess each and every single one of those it ultimately it always led to the fact that oh you can do this this is possible right you don't need to have a million dollars to travel for seven months because there's so many different ways to travel there's so many different ways to experience you could volunteer, you could meet people on the way, you could stay, you could network, literally, and then yeah. just meet yeah, others but throughout the different cities. And it's just, it's fascinating how much fear in my own life, I think, held me back from that version of choosing to be happy, choosing to find joy in it every day. Because I, I, I've lived that for many years, where I would wake up and the first thing would be the anxiety, the uncertainty of the unknown. And then after a while, I just realized it's like, I can't control that anyway. So why am I trying to control it now?
1: Gosh, you are, you're nailing it on the head right now. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. And our brains are programmed that way. Like, I mean, thank you, brain. And anybody that's experienced <laughs> this, I mean, truly, you, you should thank your brain for that. And then tell your brain a new story because your brain is built for a, a world of scarcity. It's built for the world of our ancestors, which was really dangerous and scarce and sparse. And, and so our brain is constantly looking for the negative. What can kill you? What can hold you back? Where, where will you fail? What's, you know? There's not enough money to travel. There's not enough time. So it's looking for those scarcity uh, things to make sure that you say stay, stay safe. Unfortunately, when you stay, quote unquote, safe, you're not actually living. You're not actually having experiences. You're just existing your way through life. And I think that that's really the, my, true, my true fear is existing, not living, right? Um, so when we write this new narrative, and you talked about control. That's a huge one, right? I I tell people often I use the analogy of a of a roller coaster, and like love it or hate it, you are strapped into that roller coaster. <laughs> you don't get to control where that's going, right? By the way, that's life. Welcome to it, folks. Right? You're gonna go on this roller coaster, whether that means you're traveling for seven months and don't know what the next step is, or you're you have a position that's you know at a Fortune 500 CEO and and you don't know what's coming down the line because it's COVID and who like life is an adventure for all of us. And when we realize that we don't get to control the roller coaster, the only thing we get to control is our response to it. Right. It's the, Oh, is this an adventure or is it an ordeal? And, um, and and so much of that reality is within ourselves. My, I, I'm going off on a tangent here, but one of my favorite things to to talk about too, is like the honeymoon effect. Bruce Lipton is a neuroscientist. He talks about this sometimes about, how much we create our realities and he talks about you know do you remember the first time that you fell in love or you know the last time you fell in love and you're like boss is yelling at you it's pouring rain you're in a traffic jam and you're just like life
0: is
1: <laughs> you're just like dancing through life yes. right because your focus is on that new romance that love the opportunity the possibility the adventure and and it's so funny to think about but you're like oh yeah oh I created that I did that. I made that happiness for myself, uh, independent of any other circumstances that were happening. And so frequently, like to your point, that's that's all we're doing every day is creating those opportunities. And if we stay open enough to it, we can find happiness everywhere.
0: So what do you think our purpose is on this planet at the end of the day? Why are we here? <clears throat>
1: wow, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I could go in a lot of different directions with that my my thought is individually why why am i here that's what i'll answer why am i here i am here uh, to spark happiness and create kindness in the world i think in the end that's that's what matters is is the small amount of of paint that you put into your corner of the world that makes it a better place whether that's for somebody for something for some cause um or for yourself um, you know, doing, doing kindness, um, creating community, um, uh, making the world slightly better. I think to me, that's it. Now, if you ask me from a biological perspective, I'd say sex and survival, that's it. Just procreate and you're done.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so very different responses there, but yeah.
0: You know, it's something that I realized, uh, as I was mentioning to you earlier, mm-hmm. I spent a month and a half in Ghana and it was fascinating for me to see. People of all walks of life experiencing different types of hardship and yet still choosing to be kind, still choosing to go with their day with a sense of joy that for for me, and I don't know if this is cultural or a condition or whatever it might be, but I was just, I remember looking at a lot of the people and I'm just asking myself, how are they doing this? I would be in a completely different state. And I wonder if a lot of that just truly has to do or boils down to just choosing to be in the present as much as possible. You know, I think in in, in my experience in the US, there is that mindset or mentality to focus on the future. And if you really think about it, like that's how most of us build our lives, right? We'll go through school with the intention of getting a better job, with the intention of getting higher pay, with the intention of getting a bigger house, with the intention of all these other things. And I wonder how much of it, like what is that fine balance in finding one's happiness, finding one joy. Between enjoying the day-to-day moments, knowing that nothing about tomorrow nor the next breath is guaranteed. And still yeah, like guess. choosing to embrace that. I, I, I personally I would be lying to you if I told you that I've somehow found a way to embrace it. I haven't. I I truly <laughs> like I understand the concept of what it means to yeah. be in the present, but I, I don't think I fully experience it. And maybe I'm not meant to. <laughs>
1: I think you know it's interesting that you say that. I think so many of us. It, first of all, if you had, if you had, I, I'd just spend the rest of this podcast asking questions <laughs> about how we get there, right? Because, and and again, that's another kind of of grasping. You know, it's another kind of well, I want that for my future attachment, you know? yeah. Uh, and and focus on that that anxious future, that anxious. Uh, what's the next step? How do I get there? It's it's a state of enlightenment, right? To just be. Um, but I do think we get glimpses of it throughout our our existence. And I think maybe my my purpose and, and my goal, my new goal for myself, if you want to call it that, is to to find more of those flow states where I'm just like right now, I'm not thinking about the next thing I have to do. I'm not thinking about lunch or, or even these dogs that are laying here that are going to need That's a good. walk. At <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying the conversation. And and fully engaged right here in this moment, and and connecting with another human being, and I think that's cool. Like that's yeah. that's how I want to live my life is really enjoying these moments because, as you said, you know that's that's all we get.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that I realized, especially traveling through South America. The there were a couple near death survival type moments that I had to go through, but it it made me realize in those mm-hmm. moments that a the there's a very little little window of opportunity to think of anything other than how you're going to survive and and then afterwards I was thinking like well what would I do differently what changes do I make in my life and I know it's something you brought up at the beginning and and I'm curious to explore that more a how did you recognize those changes that you had to make and b how did you actually do them because and I don't want to generalize for anyone else because everyone walks their own path but the thing that you mentioned at the beginning divorce job, all those other things, selling the house, correct me if I'm wrong, like those are all like big steps because so many people spend so much of their lives building towards those things.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not gonna say it was easy. I I felt like I didn't have a choice. Um and I I made it kind of this irreversible decision for myself purposefully. Um, in part because I know the science there. And and the science says, you know, if you have an opportunity to return something, for example, you know, in America, we have all of these like, oh, well, you can buy it and then you can return it if you don't like it. And it turns out we do a lot more returning that way. Um, there's a bias, a cognitive bias that we have that when we make a decision irreversible and we buy that thing, we start to justify it in our own heads of like, yeah, I love this thing. This is the thing that I really wanted. And so by making decisions um, like that, that I knew were right for me. Uh, You know, I I knew I wasn't happy at that job. I'd known that for a long time. I kept waiting to be happy. I knew it wasn't the right relationship for me. You know, a fine man, I I, I would give him a hug today. Nothing wrong with him. Nothing bad with the relationship just wasn't life giving for me. Um, So i would known these things. But in order to really move forward, I had to let go of some of some of these decisions that I that I built my life on. And so for me, it was a pretty immediate, uh, pretty drastic response. Now that's not going to be right for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people are going to want to make smaller steps towards the thing and that's fine. But I, I will suggest that burning your ships to some extent is a, is a really um, wonderful way to experience a new form of life. Because once, once I burned my ships, I was on this Island by myself and it was like, not saying there weren't days when I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, I just want to go back and have that stability again. Um, But again, I think that that's reverting to uh, a condition that, that I believed because I had been conditioned to believe was, was a precondition of happiness, right? Success, stability. And now I look at stability and I'm like, I like stability in my life but I don't need it in order to be happy. I don't need success in order to be happy. I need happiness first. And when I meet happiness, the core condition, the thing that I sought more than anything else, more than status, more than, you know, more than anything, how, how can I achieve happiness? And I started digging into the science of happiness. And and it's really surprising because our brains will tell us, oh, you want to acquire things. You know, you want to give things away. You want to, you wanna serve others. You wanna surround yourself with a community where you're serving others. And when you start doing that, you start getting happy. And when you start getting happy, you start achieving, and what I'll say in quotation marks, even though your audience can't see it, success. By whatever definition you want to define success as. Um, it's, it's such a reverse psychology, but, but the science is pretty strong around you know, uh, uh, happiness preceding any, any form of success. So in
0: a way, are we all dependent on each other?
1: I think so. I mean, I, I, I that's how we evolved, um, certainly. Uh, you do see, and this is a, an interesting trend, you've seen leaders arise throughout history that are very independent, competitive, um, often dictator-like, um, and they arise to power through fear. I think there's an alternative, and I think we're starting to see that shift in balance. Um, of the highly cooperative, highly emotional, highly emotionally intelligent, um, highly happy and in tune leader beginning to rise because that's the sustainable future that I, that I see for, for companies, for leadership, for, for happiness throughout the world is when we do rely on each other. I mean, we're stuck on this planet together, you know, it's a closed ecosystem and every other, every other species relies on one another. Um, It kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, until Elon Musk and NASA figure out a way to get to Mars.
1: <laughs> I can't. No, I
0: until, can't. Don't get me started. Until that point.
1: <laughs> We're yeah. all stuck on here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But even then, I mean, you want to talk about reliance. Go ahead. Go go to Mars. Good luck surviving by yourself. You know? I, I think this it's interesting in the world of so much digital connection. That we think that we're connected, and I think we've actually lost a, lo- a layer of connectedness. I think, despite the fact that we're probably more globally interdependent on one another than we realize, um, we're not getting out and hanging out with people. We're we're addicted to these things, and we're we're not we're not really shutting down and having face to face conversations um, you know, just laughing, just engaging, just sitting and doing nothing. That's where our brain begins to expand and get creative and and expansive and, um, and connected to one another truly. Mm-hmm.
0: How conscious are you of being disconnected or being too connected to the phone and some very, of these other things?
1: Very. Um, I, I make it a, a really strong point to shut down my computer, to shut down my phone, um, at a particular time, every single day. And there will be. Listen, I'm not. I'm not perfect at this, right? They come and then I'm like, "Ooh, I definitely want to check that out." You know. (laughs) um, But so frequently, what what I notice is when I am able to shut down, when I am able to get back into nature or with my family and just be out doing things separate from those little interrupting devices, I feel so much more in that state of flow so much more in the present moment, rather than getting pulled here, there, and everywhere. Um, because our brains don't handle that, right? Like, you think about how our brains evolved. If you were getting pulled by something, it was a tiger, right? It was a, it was a stress-inducing moment. And so, to this day, when we get those, like, pings, dings, interruptions, our brain is going, whoa, what's wrong? What's the thing? I have to look at that thing immediately. It's going to potentially kill me. Like, now, dude, it's a text message from Dan saying, Hey, what's up? You know, like it's not, it's not a life-threatening thing, but it is pulling you from that present moment. So, you know, I think it's super important to be to be really conscious about how we're using technology in our in our daily lives.
0: Yeah. I'm noticing this more and more within myself, just trying to become conscious of not use it during conversations or whatever it might be, but I, I'm also realizing how much of the how much of the world has changed. In the past 10 to 15 years, I mean, I remember being a kid and having to bike over to my friend's house and knock on his front door and ask his parents whether or not he was home. Like that was it (laughs) or pick up the landline and always call. And it was always his mom picking up the phone. I don't I don't know why, but she must have had the the landline like taped to her or something like that. (laughs) But I would always ask, is Carson around or is Marshall around or some of these other people in my life? And I find <laughs> I find it interesting how I think in, in today's day and age, I don't know if it's necessarily worse. I think it's just different. It's just a completely different environment that we're living in now where I'm constantly part of conversations where the other person won't look
1: up once. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think it's worse. I'll put it out there. Um, I think it has the potential to not be. I don't think we need to let these things control us. I think we choose to let these things control us um, because they do, they interfere with our biology, right? They're they're dopamine generators. We love that little hit of dopamine that we get every time we get a text message or a Facebook notification or whatever else um, we're getting on there. And so it does it, it it creates these little hits of, ooh, I'm, ooh, I'm popular, ooh, I got this thing. But it, those those little hits do take us from the from the conversation, from the From the long-term happiness. In fact, when we look at um when we measure fun, Mm. this is a fun thing that that happy. How do you define
0: fun to begin with? Yeah.
1: Well, there's two, there's technically three types. Um, a third type I don't, I don't buy. Uh, there's two types of fun. There's type one fun, which is the kind of fun that you and I would immediately like come to mind. It's like riding a roller coaster if you're into that kind of thing, or like getting that that beep on their phone and like it's a happy messenger, or those those immediately fun things that we all like to do, playing a game of basketball, whatever it is that you love to engage in. Then there's type two fun. And I think what's happened as, as type one fun has kind of taken over our lives and we're just constantly seeking that next door, we've forgotten about type two fun, which is actually the purpose driven fun. So this is the kind of fun that we don't actually think of as fun in the moment. So think about like hiking a mountain, Right. It's like, oh gosh, this is hard work. I'm, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm I'm having a hard go of it. And then I get to the top and I'm like, yeah, I did that. Or running a marathon, right? Or or achieving that, that, that writing the book. Oh gosh, it's a slog. Let me tell you, it's a slog. But then you're like, I did this thing. And it feels amazing. And that's the purpose-driven fun that so many of us are, I think, are avoiding more and more as we increase the, the type one fun in our lives. And and it's a recipe, frankly, for I think less purpose-driven um, existence.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of writing a book, did, did you write a book?
1: I did, yeah. Um, so my book is called Instinct. Uh, it's a it's about the seven instincts that we have that hold us back from from living full, happy, productive lives.
0: Mm. What was that process like? I'm in the process of putting together one right now. Yeah,
1: you know, it's a journey. I, it's, a journey. it's definitely tied to. I'll be honest. <laughs> Like there were moments when I thought I was having type one fun when I'm like, you get into that flow and you're like, yeah, I'm cruising now. Um, but overall, it's a slog, right? It's it's tough. Um, and for me, at least, I kept getting into my head about, well, you know, this isn't enough. This isn't good enough. somebody's going to read this and they're not going to think that you know what you're talking. You know, all these little voices come up, all those fears come up because it's an incredibly vulnerable position to be in. Right, you're you're putting your ideas on paper for others to read and and criticize and whoa, but it's so rewarding, right? It's, it's to me, um, it was it was incredible. Despite the fact that I will tell you, the day that my publisher sent me my my book, like they sent me a box of books, and it was like this big celebratory moment. Like open up my book for the first time. I flip through the pages and I just and I read the first sentence. And there's a typo.
0: Oh, <laughs> and I'm telling
1: you, my head just like, it was like, no! But that's the kind of thing that you know. I think we get caught up in that fear of like, oh my gosh, it's a typo in yeah. a you know, three hundred page book. The world so ends. What? Yeah. So yeah. what? Did you communicate? Did you get an idea across? What an incredible thing! That's that's I, any way that I can support you in that process. By all means, keep keep going.
0: Why did you write yours to begin with?
1: You know, I I started writing it um at the time when I'd quit my job, sold my house, and divorced my husband because I didn't I didn't really know what to do and I was trying to process everything. So that was that was that was a little bit of a therapy for me. Um but I also had a lot of ideas that I I saw from the my world and background in biology applying to these business leaders that I'd been speaking to. So I had um had sort of stumbled into business consulting and and working with CEOs and leaders. And I kept seeing all the ways that their biology was driving them to, to make terrible decisions. And so I thought, well, maybe there's a way to merge these two, these two fields. And, um, and so I dug into, into kind of my background in human behavior and, and evolutionary behavior and, uh, and applied it to modern leadership problems. So that was, uh, that was how instinct evolved.
0: Mm. Where can people find out more information about the book, who you are, anything that you have coming up sure
1: thanks um the easiest thing to do is probably go to rebeccaheiss.com that's h-e-i-s-s um and you can find all of my latest blog posts and you can find the book there you can go on amazon and get the book if you want or any other local bookstores um uh yeah and and you can find out about year of happy and all the other programs that i offer from rebeccaheiss.com and feel free to reach out to me i'm on all the socials at dr rebecca heiss um, happy to hear from you.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google. So more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.